All right, uh, grab your Bibles. Turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13. Here's the reality. Sunday after Sunday. Sunday after Sunday, many of you show up faithfully, semi-faithfully to church. We show up Sunday after Sunday, and we sit, some of you, in kind of the same, same spots. I'm impressed the Nissans have moved kind of across the aisle, way to go. Uh, but we kind of sit in the same spots, don't you? We're kind of creatures of habit. Sunday after Sunday, you show up for, for a message. And Sunday after Sunday, you show up for, um, maybe you're part of a team, and you're part of the worship team, and you're, you're singing, practicing, showing up a little early, practicing it so that in such a way that it sounds good. And Sunday after Sunday, you go through the same songs, the same routine. Sunday after Sunday, I give a message. Sometimes it's 45 minutes, sometimes it's shorter, sometimes it's longer. But Sunday after Sunday, we kind of do these same routines. Maybe you're part of another team, the greeter team, and you're part of, just want to be hospitable, and you want to show up. The second that somebody shows up at the door, you want to say, hey, welcome, be a part of this. It, it's, it's great to have you here this morning. But we kind of get into these, well, this is what we do. Every Sunday I show up here and this is what I've got to do. Some of you, it's out of guilt. If I don't show up and we're small enough at church, people will notice, right? Hey, where have the chapels been? Haven't seen them in a while. Hey, where are the, where are the end? Ah, oh, they're in New York again. Ah, it's been a while, you know. We start noticing. So you, you guys say, well, we can't skip this morning. We're going to show up. People are going to start wondering, are we looking at another church or are we just lazy? You know, so Sunday after Sunday, there's that constant thing. And sometimes, for many of us, it extends beyond Sunday, doesn't it? You're part of a, a missional community. So, man, you've you got to be in this community group and you got to, we do this kind of thing. We show up, we care for each other. We, some of you bring tremendous amounts of food and you do tremendous amount of drink, really good drink, really good food, and we just eat and we indulge in that, and then we open up the Bible. We kind of do these things. Some of you are part of leadership teams, so you, you got to do these things. Sunday after Sunday, week after week, day after day, and I've got to confess, there's part of me that is done with it. Just, just done with it. If this is all that being a Christian is about, Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month, just doing these things, I'm done with it. And maybe you're finding yourself, as we start off a new year, in kind of that same place. Is this all that it is? And we've got to ask the question, what is the main business, the main purpose of the church. We've got to ask ourselves, what, why, 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 why does the church even exist? What is its main purpose? And some people, if we'd ask, the question would be answered this way. Well, it's, it's to care for the membership. It's to be a really warm, fuzzy community. And it's to provide these, uh, these functions during major transitions of life. You know, maybe at births, the church needs to be there for births, you know, baptism or for, you know, pastoral visits, showing up. That's, that's what the church is, providing meals, right? 
You've got to have a community to provide meals. Maybe it's for, for marriage, you know, purposes major. Got to be there, provide some kind of counseling. So you got to, you know, you got to have it done in a church. Got to have a pastor there to bless it and make it all right and keep the family all happy. Maybe it is at times of death, major transition times. Maybe the purpose of the church, and some people will say this, is I need a good place to grow up my kids. Where they're going to see other godly people growing up and loving Jesus. But I, I'm, I am convinced that these are all functions of the church. These are all functions of the church and not the main business or purpose of the church. And if we start, start acting as if these are the main purpose of the church, we'll miss our main business. We'll miss it. We're always, and I know this from my own spiritual life and just life in general, living with you folks, that the reality is that we are always in danger of slipping into a maintenance mentality. Just maintaining, where we, we focus on maintaining our, our religious club with our religious activities. Man, we, we, we got to start cranking out some activities for our church and our people. We got to start cranking it out because, man, it's, we're kind of in this lull right now. There hasn't been anything going on. So we got to start producing some things. Or maybe, maybe the church, we go into maintenance mode and we got to start preserving our sacred traditions, our, our beliefs. And so we build up such high walls and towers that it's impenetrable. And we forget about the lost. We forget about the lost. Erwin McManus, here's a quote. He said this, he's a pastor out in uh, Los Angeles, California, He's a pastor of a Mosaic Church, and he said this, we somehow think that the church is here for us. We forget that we are the church, and we're here for the world. John Piper, a pastor that I have a tremendous amount of respect for, I love his books, I, I listen to his sermons regularly, go to his conferences, he said this, the book of Acts is a constant indictment of mere maintenance Christianity. It's a constant goad and encouragement and stimulation to fan the flame of Advent. Advent. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Elsewhere, he, he says the main goal of evangelism and missions is not just to reach the lost, but ultimately to glorify God. The glory of God is his supreme goal of all of history. He saves sinners to the praise of the glory of his grace. So this morning, the thing that as we read, we're going to just read four verses, just four verses. The thing that I just want you to hear through and through. The main thing this morning is this. The main business of the church is to obey the Holy Spirit in promoting God's glory among the nations by sending out workers called by God to preach the gospel. That is the main business, the main purpose of the church. 
of this family. To be obedient to the Holy Spirit. All of us, not just leadership, all of us to be obedient to the Holy Spirit in promoting God's glory. And how do we do that? By sending out people who proclaim the gospel. We're going to see here that the shift from, from last week with, with Nathan's preaching, his sermon, it comes back to Antioch. And if you remember anything about Antioch, it was this, this pagan city where there were some, some Jews who had the audacity after persecution, had the audacity to share the gospel with Gentiles. And God's hand was on them in a mighty and an amazing kind of way. Where, where, when the gospel was shared, when it was preached, people came to new life in Jesus Christ. When they heard the good news of Jesus and his salvation, people's lives were turned upside down. They were changed in radical new kind of ways. And this church, oh, they had a heart for the gospel. They had a heart for lost people. They had a heart for evangelism. And they had heard that there was going to be a terrible famine in Jerusalem. So they made a spontaneous collection and they sent Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem with this collection. After the collection was dispersed in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul came back with John Mark back to Antioch. They came back. And this, this moment in Acts sets a major shift in what's going on. It now moves to the Acts of the Apostle Paul. The church is, is about to explode as Antioch is going to be obedient to the Holy Spirit's calling. The gospel goes out into Gentile territory. So let's read, follow along with me. Page 921, if you, you have one of our pew Bibles, starting verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. I want you to hear this this morning. God is calling us to be faithful. This is not another program or another initiative that the church leadership is trying to get you on board to do. This is not something new. This is not something fandangled. This is something, not, something novel and nice. It's about being faithful, about being obedient. G. Campbell Morgan says that the central feature of these verses is that the declared activity is, is about the declared activity of the Holy Spirit. Did you pick that up here? The Holy Spirit speaks, and he doesn't give suggestions. He doesn't say, okay, I'm going to give you uh, three options. They're all really good. They're really good 
options for you to do, you know, any of them would be faithful. But when the Holy Spirit spoke here, he gave directives. He gave imperatives of what must happen. Listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. This is what I want you to do. I want you to set apart. And the Holy Spirit is saying this. And he tells these leaders what to do, and what did they do? They obeyed, right? So Luke even notes later on in verse 4 that Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Sent out. The idea of world missions does not originate with you and me. It doesn't. It's not this really neat kind of cool thing. Last night, I got a phone call from uh, John Camiola. John and Missy, this, this evening at 8.30, are leaving. Direct flight from here. And they're going back to Joss, Nigeria. This was not something that they or uh, their mission-sending organization came up with, this idea of gospel world missions. It wasn't their idea of, hey, we should, we should do something really neat, something really kind of cool. It, the, the, here in Acts, there was not a group of men, uh, you know, it wasn't the prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, uh, called Niger, Lucius, and Manan, and Barnabas and Saul. They, they weren't all just sitting around with a great big whiteboard going, okay, hey, let's come up with something new. What do you got? Oh, that's a good idea. Oh, t- shoot. Just give me anything. What do you got? Oh, good. What do you got? It, it wasn't them sitting around a table brainstorming, just writing up good ideas like we, we've done in the past. It wasn't that kind of a thing. So, also, one of them goes, hey, you know what I think we should do? I got a really cool idea. No other church in the region is doing this. I think we should set apart some leaders. What do you think? It wasn't that way. But instead, what happened? The Holy Spirit, and there's part of me that just, in an appropriate Christian way, lusts for this kind of thing, where the Holy Spirit just breaks into a meeting. Just breaks into the meeting and just says, listen, this is what you're going to do. How did the Spirit speak to them at that point? I had no clue. Was it audible? I don't know. Was Was it... the Holy Spirit speaking through one of the prophets? I don't know. But what I do know is as they were spending time in worship, prayer, fasting, as they were having this intense moment as the leadership of the church, all of a sudden, they sensed the need for God's direction for the work. However it happened. No doubt that they were burdened with the thought that there were many friends and families, co-workers in their communities that had never heard of Jesus Christ, never even heard his name, nor have they heard of the salvation that he brings, the good news of Jesus Christ. They were burdened with that. And as they were praying, maybe one of them, as they were spending time in prayer, as they were fasting, maybe one of them also goes, you know, I sense that the Lord wants us to set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that he's called them to do. And all of a sudden around the room, all the leaders look at each other and go, me too. Me too. Therefore, it it was affirmed. The Holy Spirit has spoken. He has directed us. The only 
thing that they could do at that point is what? Obey. The Holy Spirit has led them. This occasion wasn't even the first time for Barnabas and Saul to even be, have this sense of calling, being called out as workers, and the Holy Spirit leading them. Barnabas, man, he's been traveling with Paul or Saul through all these kind of things. And even when he went back to Jerusalem carrying these gifts for this, uh, this church that was beleaguered, he had to have a sense of call that the Holy Spirit was saying, go back to Antioch. Even Saul, and I love this. If you look all the way back to the beginning of our study, there was a man named Ananias. Paul had just had this Damascus Road experience. And some of us just go, man, I wish I had Damascus Road experience. It was a scary thing. God broke in, spoke to him, and immediately Saul was blind. I'm not sure that I want a Damascus Road experience. But God broke in in such a way. And what did God do? God came to a man named Ananias, a righteous man, and he said to Ananias, you go, you go to Saul. I want you to go to Saul, and I want you to pray that his eyes may be opened again. And on top of that, here's the reason why. Because he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. Ananias is going, God, you have got to be on something because he was the very man that was breathing murderous threats out against the church. He was gathering up men, women, and children, putting them into chains and carrying them back to Jerusalem for the sake of being prosecuted. The church is being persecuted, God. Are you crazy? But Ananias, when the Holy Spirit leads, you're obedient. Ananias had to go back to Paul, Saul in that house and just said, I want you to imagine this. Knocking on the door and say, um, do you have Saul of Tarsus in your house? You do. Okay. I need to see him. Oh, Lord, this better, be, this better be of you. And Ananias comes into the room. Brother Saul, my name is Ananias. The Lord has spoken to me. I'm here for two purposes. God has told me that you are his chosen instrument. You are his chosen instrument to carry his name to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the children of Israel. Please don't kill me. And I'm also here to pray that God would open up your eyes. And he did it. Now, you cannot tell me that that kind of a moment does not rattle around in a person's mind. You hear those things and have that kind of experience. So Paul is going, okay, I, I know God has called me. And the only thing that I can do is be obedient to the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is, is sovereign in initiating and calling people to mission. Whatever it is. And, you know, I've, I've heard mission, different kinds of mission advocates say that everybody is to be a missionary. That we're all missionaries. I, I'm not sure that I buy into that because you kind of downplay God's special calling for some people to go, to leave their home, their comforts, and to be cross-cultural missionaries in a different world, in a different place, 
in a different culture, with different languages, with different customs. That is not for everybody. God calls us all to be ones who share the gospel wherever we are. But God gives special callings to some to go across seas into different cultures where their families are put in harm's way. And we see that for John and Missy Camiola, a special calling for their family. And we need to be praying for them regularly as a family. And the thing that frustrates me, and I, this is just my confession, last night, when I got that phone call, the Holy Spirit was prompting me immediately on the phone when I was talking with John. Pray with him. Pray with John. Pray with John. What did Paul do? Hey, John, we'll be praying for you. Did I pray with John? What did I do this morning? As I was coming here, called him and just said, hey, I was unfaithful last night. God has given you, and I'm preaching about this this morning, God has given you and your family a unique calling. And I want to pray with you right now. Thanks. John Piper says, because all of us are called to mission in one way or another. He says this, there are three kinds of, of Christians when it comes to world missions. He says, zealous goers, zealous senders, or disobedient. John Missy, zealous goers. He could not wait, apart from the flight going back, they could not wait to get back to Joss, Nigeria and continue the mission that God has called them to be a part of. His mission, the Holy Spirit has, has initiated, he has called them, he has sent them. Now go. And we are to be zealous what? Senders. Financially supporting them, prayerfully supporting them every way possible. We are, we are to send them out and they should know and sense and just, man, there is something absolutely beautiful about us going because people are sending us. And we are not to be disobedient. So the Holy Spirit is sovereign in missions, initiating it and he is calling workers and he is also directing it directing it. The Holy Spirit has a distinct work in mind for Barnabas and Saul. Distinct. Focused. And it is to do what? To bear his name, to carry his name to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the children of Israel. That is his call for them. It is distinct. And before they left Antioch, before Barnabas and Saul packed up their bags and headed down, what did they do? They spent more time in where? Prayer and fasting. They spent more time in prayer and fasting. And you know what the response was? Because I'm, I'm sure they were going, okay, the Spirit said that we, we, we need to be set apart for this, this thing that God has called us to be about. What is it? Apparently, God again broke in in a, in a powerful way because what happened in verse 4. And before being sent out by the Holy Spirit, 
by being, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. They went down to a port city. They went down to a port city. So apparently God had responded and said, okay, this is what I want you to do. Go down to Seleucia. Hop on a boat because you're going to Cyprus first. So from, from beginning, the initiating to the calling to the directing, the Holy Spirit is sovereign over all of these things. But the reality is that these kind of men are a unique, in our day, our culture, even in biblical times, probably a unique kind of people. Because why? There, there was something about them. There was something about their character. There was, and this is, again, one of my confession times. It's been one of those weeks where God has just kind of been doing this, kind of like kneading bread. And before bread is ready, if you know anything about it, it, it gets worked. The sermon has worked something inside of me. And the, the reality is, for me, I know this about myself, and maybe this is much is true with you. My life is filled with things. Lots of them. Lots of things. And, and the reality is that I get busy serving the Lord. Really busy serving the Lord. I've got lots of activities, I've got lots of meetings, I've got lots of appointments, I've got lots of ideas, and I get busy filling my time with things in serving the Lord. And some of you who are in more leadership positions are going, I know exactly what he's talking about. I, I've got 101 things, all kinds of meetings every Sunday, I've got every missional community, I've got another thing, I've got a consistory meeting, maybe I've got an elder meeting, I've got this kind of meeting, I've got this kind of thing, I'm on, constantly doing missioning, I've got constantly things there filling up my daytime, just filled with it. But, if we fail to take the time to meet with the Lord in worship and prayer, I am sure that we miss tremendous blessing. What is unique about these leaders is not only had they met all the Titus and the, the Timothy qualifications for a godly leader, not only was their character right, but they were also doing something else. They were worshiping. They were in prayer. They were fasting. I think with all the talk and even my feelings sometimes of burnout, there's a basic failure. And it's not just for leaders. It's for every Christian in this room. There's a basic failure to block out adequate time to draw near to the Lord and to seek His will. It's a basic failure of all of us. From me to you. You know, there's part of me that just wants to say, okay, what, you want, I, I, I want to know what your priorities are. If I'd say that to Stephen, the two things that I'd ask for is what? His calendar and checkbook. You want to show me your checkbook? Didn't think so. You want to show me your calendar? Well, maybe. But those are the priorities in our life. 
how many of us have the priority of just saying, I'm going to spend time in worship. I'm going to spend, I am going to put it on my calendar. I'm going to put it in my, as a priority every free moment that I have, every opportunity that I have. I'm going to be in worship. I'm going to be in prayer. I'm reading a book by E.M. Bounds, Power Through Prayer. Oh my gracious, I hit the chapter, I think it was six. It's a short little booklet where it talks about all these leaders where they get up and they feel guilty if they hear somebody out on the street working before they have started praying. The most important business that they find as a pastor is for the ministry of prayer. When's the last time you've really prayed before the Lord? Is it Sunday morning? Sunday after Sunday. As you look at Nathan, as you look at myself, as you look at elders, as you look at deacons, you look at Mike Archibald, who's going to be an upcoming, he's an elder nominee. Are our lives not just character traits right, but are our lives filled with worship, with prayer? Acts 6, the reason for having deacons in the first place was why? So that the elders, the apostles, could focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. Tremendous priorities. So they were ministering and they were praying to the Lord and their first, their first priority was to be set apart for God. God and his calling in their life. Man, Lord, I am ministering to you through prayer. I'm ministering to you through worship. I'm ministering to you through fasting, so, Lord, so that I can hear what it is, that, Lord, that you want me to be about. And as they were doing that, God said, you're going to be set apart. You're set apart for a certain purpose. These men were devoted to the Lord first. They were not devoted to the things they were going on in the church. Because I'm going to tell you, this church in Antioch, there were tons of things going on. It was birthed in a pagan community. There were people who were redeemed from temple prostitution. There were people who were redeemed from terrible. They were brought in from, they, they were living terrible business practices. Their marriages were a mess. They could have been focusing on discipling all these people, but they took the time to be devoted to the Lord first and foremost, and then to the work that he called them to. Even Jesus said to the woman at the well that the Father seeks worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. That, that's who God wants first and foremost. He doesn't want busy workers. He wants those, he wants worshipers, people who are enjoying him and deeply satisfied in him. And it was while these men were taking time to worship that God gave them this history-changing directive while they were worshiping. Not a brainstorm session, while they were worshiping. And these leaders were called to be faithful even if it is one of the most difficult things. These leaders sought the Lord and he answered them. But they might not have liked what the Lord had to say. 
Barnabas and Saul were probably two of the most gifted leaders in the church in Antioch. Two of the most gifted leaders in this baby church. And what did God say? Set them apart for the work that I've called them to do. Two of your best, send them out. Immediately the church is going, are you serious? Do you know how much work there has got to be done here? Who's going to be leading this discipleship group? Who's going to be leading worship over here? Who's going to be doing this? Who's going to be doing that? Now, Oh, okay, so by them leaving, there was a gaping hole. A gaping hole in this church. Other leaders would have been burdened with more work. But what did they do? They obeyed and they trusted. And it sounds easy just to kind of, they obeyed and they trusted. But the interesting thing is that when these men were sent out, there wasn't a word about what is usually in churches' minds, first and foremost. How are we going to finance this? There, there wasn't a, a picture of, okay, Holy Spirit has spoken. How much do you got in your pockets? Okay, Barnabas, what do you got? Oh, you got a couple hundred bucks. I, I got, I got, I got a twelve bucks. Okay, how are we going to do this? I, maybe it's not the Lord's will because we don't have the cash to make this happen, man. And the church wasn't going. Are you serious? We're a brand new baby church, and you really want us to finance you? you serious? We've got this beautiful building. How are we going to make this happen? It's absolutely impossible, man. We've, we've got air conditioning. We've got heating. We've got all these things that have got to be done. Good luck. We have no clue how it was done. Maybe the church gave a one-time gracious gift. Maybe the church gave them ongoing support. Maybe who knows how they did it. Maybe they said, God's calling you to be bivocational. We have no clue, but all that we do know is that they trusted. They responded, and they went out. They went out. For what purpose? The Holy Spirit has called them. He's initiated, called them, and directed them. They obeyed, but for what purpose? Habakkuk 2.14 says this. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How, how are waters covering the sea? Completely. Right? So the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is God's desire that his name and his fame, his renown is echoing throughout the entire earth. God's greatest desire is not your salvation. God's greatest desire is his fame and his glory. He wants his character, his name, his attributes, his everything to be shown out into the entire world. God's greatest mission is not your salvation, your family member's salvation, this neighborhood salvation. That's not great, God's greatest desire. His greatest desire is that his name will be made much of 
Psalm 46.10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It, in his book, Desiring God, Piper rewords the, the first answer to the Westminster Catechism. Westminster Catechism, Presbyterians say, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Your, your chief end is to glorify God. Not have a happy family life, not to have a successful uh, business. Your, your most important thing is not to have a 401k so that you can walk the beaches when you retire, even though that might be glorious to you right now, that is not your chief end. Your chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him from now till eternity. So Piper, in his book, Desiring God, rewarded it. said, what is the chief end of God? The chief end of God is to enjoy God. To glorify, glorify God and enjoy God forever. The chief end of God is to glorify himself and enjoy himself forever. He states, this is why God has done all things from creation to consummation for the preservation and the display of his glory. So salvation, your salvation, is not God's ultimate goal, but rather a means, a means to his goal of glorifying himself. And how does that work out? These men who were called by God, the Holy Spirit called them to this thing. God said, be obedient. They were obedient. They were sent out for the purpose of God being glorified. And how did they do it? By sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel with everybody that they came in contact with. There is no excuse for us to not share the gospel. If God's glory is the, our chief aim, and to enjoy him, man, we need to share it with other people. We need to have other people enjoy God and glorify God. And the only way that they come to salvation is by sharing it. Each one of you are sent, some uniquely to overseas, most of us locally. You just so happen to be on a mission and getting your paycheck from a lot of different places. God desires worshipers. And what happens when your soul is regenerated, when your heart is changed? We used Ezekiel 36 this morning in, the, in our call to worship or confession where God said, listen, Ezekiel, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to take their heart of stone and I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. And what happens with the heart of flesh is that our hearts, our lives, our perspective, everything has changed. And we look at God and say, man, I cannot help but worship you. And what does worship do? It gives God glory. And I'm not just talking about singing songs, even though that is critical. A singing songs and enjoying Him and singing loudly and singing passionately to God because he's the one who saved us and we have different hearts, no longer a heart of stone but a heart of flesh, and we're worshiping, but we worship him throughout our day-to-day -day life. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Notice that there's a lot of withalls. And that's a lot of your life. Wait, that's all of your life. And that is how we glorify God. God is glorified. His, if that's his chief aim, he is glorified when his people worship him. And God is even more glorified when more people worship him. If he's even more glorified, and that's our chief aim, is to glorify God and to see that he gets more and more glory. Our purpose as a church is to listen to the Holy Spirit as a community and as families and as individuals. Listen through worship and through prayer and fasting. Just listen carefully to what is the Holy Spirit saying and we respond obediently to his calling. Sharing the gospel without fear of reprisal. Sharing it passionately. And I don't care where you work or what profession God has called you to, you are first and foremost his. And then a teacher or plumber or mechanic or psychologist or technical whatever you are. First you are a child and you are first called to be obedient to his calling. there's a beautiful way that God will be glorified and there's a picture of it that we have in Revelation 5 where John is sitting as he's caught up and brought kind of into what's going to be it's going to be all like in Revelation 5 John hears this, this heavenly chorus just singing out and what are they singing? They're singing a new song and this new song is worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God for, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. When the church, when we, not pastors, when we, when we preach the gospel to the all nations, God will use it to save his elect to the glory of his name. As Piper says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. The glory of God is the ultimate goal of the church. As we go forward as a church in 2013, 14, 15, as long as God calls us to be a church, organized here in New Lenox, Illinois. Missions is not our ultimate goal. It's a function of the church. God's glory is our goal. 